0: God in heaven, uh, we lift up the nations to you that you might be made much of from east to west, from north to south. The gospel would go forth to every nation and tribe and tongue, and that every knee and every tongue would come together in worship of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray this morning in particular for the nation of Argentina. We ask, Father, for a uh, gospel movement uh, to flourish and to grow stronger and stronger by the day. We pray particularly for um, the intellectual and business class that thinks that it does not need a savior, that they would be humbled to know that their money and their philosophy has no answer for their sin. We pray for the millions in slums under horrible conditions who are told that they have no hope, that they would know a hope that cannot be taken and cannot be lost not a hope as this world gives, but a hope of eternal life with Jesus Christ. We pray for gospel movements to continue to flourish. We pray for uh, Lee and Regina Block as they uh, minister in the southern cone of South America. We pray for that uh, work by Converge to bring the gospel and train up leaders and plant churches throughout Argentina and Chile, and Brazil. We pray, Father, uh, for training of new leaders in those places, that Argentina would take its place among those nations which not only are growing in holiness and righteousness, but that they would be sending people out to the world. Perhaps even here they will send their missionaries. Father, we pray in particular for the Turks who live in Argentina, among whom we have no documented believers in Jesus Christ, and we pray that the the stronghold of of Sunni Islam uh, would be laid waste. We pray that those uh, who know the gospel, who are in contact with the Turks of Argentina, that they would be bold to share the good news and the hope of Jesus Christ, to dispel the myths of the Christian gospel, among those Muslims, and Father, would you give them a courageous heart, a heart that is so in love with you, that's willing to endure the scorn and the shame from neighbors that will be required for them to follow Jesus. Father, we look also to Russia this morning as we see the uh, tragedies unfold, what looks like a political assassination and now hundreds arrested uh, in protest. Father, we are reminded though we do not know and understand all of the politics of our own nation, let alone those of Russia. We understand that our ability to worship freely derives in part from our ability to speak freely. And we know that your church is not free in Russia. We have thousands and millions of brothers and sisters who testify to that fact. We pray, Father, that the true church of Christ, preaching the true gospel of Christ, not a gospel that is burdened by the cultural and and ethnic and patriotic demands of any particular nation, but a gospel that knows no national boundaries would flourish in Russia. Father, if we could be so bold, we pray for the conversion of Vladimir Putin and that you would humble him, bring him to the true worship of Jesus Christ, that he would use his power to do good And we pray, Father, for our brother Ryan as he brings the word to us this morning that you would strengthen his voice, clear his mind from the illness that he's dealt with this week, that he would be able to speak truthfully and competently all the things that you have presented to us in your word. As your word is unfolded before us, would you work in our hearts by your spirit to hear and to obey Push us toward righteousness and holiness and a greater love for you. Maybe then we would be known as a church that goes out. A church that is sent into a dying world with the hope of life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Uh, Good morning. (laughs) Uh, As Chris mentioned, uh, if I sound a little different, uh, no, I did not uh, go through a belated second puberty. Uh, I was dealing with a little bit of a throat issue this week, uh, and I'm I'm pretty much, I'm feeling good now. It's just my voice is taking a little bit to come back, so I appreciate your patience as you bear with me. I might have to clear my throat a little bit more than usual or drink a little bit more water. But uh, my passage this morning uh, is coming from a little uh, series that Ben and I are going to be doing uh, on uh, the Old Testament law. Uh, It's called Love, Law, and the Lord. Uh, I'm going to be preaching out of Deuteronomy today. Uh, And then Ben is going to be preaching from uh, the book of Numbers coming up in March. Um, And if I'm being honest, I I find uh, the passage a little intimidating, uh, preaching out of the Old Testament law. I know these types of passages are maybe sorry is my is my mic a little close. Uh, these types of passages are maybe uh, sometimes hard to relate to coming from a, a modern point of view, or uh, you know, from us in the twenty-first century looking back on something uh, B.C. Um, but I think I hope I can show you that the principles that are in this passage uh, are are important, and the the underlying principle of the law. That was given to the Israelites uh, applies to us today, as well as to them back then. Um, So if you could turn with me to Deuteronomy 15, uh, verses 19 through 23. Uh, If if you're using the Bibles under your chair at Gateway, that's uh, page 149. And uh, if you're uh, using your phone or something, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible, so it's towards the beginning. Um, So reading from Deuteronomy 15, verses 19 through 23. Uh, all the firstborn males that are born of your herd and flock You shall dedicate to the Lord your God You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd nor, sh- nor shear the firstborn of your flock You shall eat it, you and your household Before the Lord your God Year by year at the place that the Lord will choose Sorry, is there a lot of popping coming through? Let's see if maybe I can get it a blow further from my face is this better? Okay. All right. Hopefully that's, if it keeps happening, I'll switch to the podium mic. Um, so going back to start into verse 20. You shall eat it, you and your household, before the Lord your God, year by year, at the place that the Lord will choose. But if it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind, or has any serious blemish, whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You shall eat it within your towns. The unclean and clean alike may eat it as though it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. So our passage uh, this morning uh, comes from the middle of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, which is sort of an interesting book because it has um, both these narrative sections that detail the travels of the children of Israel uh, and then these, sort of, these longer sermon sections uh, where Moses is bringing God's word and giving the law to the children of Israel. Um, so this, uh, these are basically just long sermons of law that Moses is laying out. And in our passage today uh, comes from the middle of one of those. Um, and in it, Moses is laying out to the people the importance of sacrifice and how they're going to relate to and worship God. Um, so I think th- it's important for us to maybe examine what is a sacrifice, um, or what does it mean to sacrifice something. You know, is it is it taking something you value and just like and, and setting it on fire? Um, if that's the case, then one of my younger sisters sacrificed a couple of rooms of our house uh, when she was playing with matches as a child. Uh, I'll let you figure out which one. Uh, won't call them out by name. Um, Or maybe it's, you know, like willingly giving up something you own. You know, like when I was cleaning out my closet and I sacrificed those clothes to Goodwill. Um, But I don't think we all realize it's not really a sacrifice if it's something that we don't value in the first place. Um, I think we all probably understand that if it's going to be a sacrifice, it has to be something meaningful. Um, So it's not much of a sacrifice for me when around this time of year I usually give up my healthy diet for Lent. but for me, giving up that you know at the office on Tuesday was a pretty big sacrifice, and not one I was willing to make. Uh, but I think um, usually the more we value something, the more difficult it is for us to sacrifice. You know, all all of us, even myself, who grew up in you know with a fairly privileged childhood, with you know not a lot of uh, hardship, um, we feel like we probably have made sacrifices at some point in our life to achieve something we value or a goal that we had. Um, Maybe you make big financial sacrifices to get through college, or maybe you're sacrificing your own time and your own interests for the good of your family. Um, You know, we see in usually successful people talk about how much they've sacrificed to get where they are in life. Uh, You know, LeBron James talks a lot about how much he sacrifices financially and from his time to maintain himself in peak athletic condition. Uh, history that so we celebrate figures who have sacrificed a lot for a very important cause. As, as Chris mentioned this morning, we have the the recent case of uh, the Russian activist uh, Alexei Navalny, who you know gave up his ended up giving up his life uh, for what the cause of freedom that he believed in. Uh, we have take somebody from church history like uh, William Tyndale, who sacrificed his life um, so that every one of us could or regular people like us could have access to God's word. Um, And historically, some of your own parents uh, sacrificed your mental well-being to bring you up as Browns fans. So uh, I guess some are maybe more noble sacrifices than others. Um, But I think one thing that sacrifices do is they reveal what our priorities are. Uh, They help us see what, what it is that we value most. And the more meaningful something is to us, the harder it is for us to sacrifice it. Um, So in our passage today, I want to show three things that I think we can learn about ourselves and about God uh, through the sacrifice that he is asking of Israel. Um, This law in particular, I think, is given by God to illuminate what the children of Israel's priorities are in life and to show his heart for his people. Um, The Old Testament law as a whole was about showing Israel where their lives diverged from God's will, and it showed the Israelites their sin and how they could live a better life serving God. Um, because, you know, ultimately it's it's his will that is best for us, not what we want for ourselves. Um, so the law is teaching us about ourselves and God, and I'm hoping to uh, point out three things from these verses uh, about what God, we see, what this law shows us God wants from his followers. So, uh, if, you're, if you're taking notes, uh, I'm going to be kind of breaking into three points. Uh, the first one is God wants our first, God wants our finest, and God wants our fellowship. Um, so naturally, I'm going to start with first first. Um, so the one thing I think we, um, we see pretty easily from the passage is... Um, God wants the Israelites to put him first in their lives. Uh, He's their God and they're his people. And Moses was calling for the way they lived their lives to reflect that truth. Uh, So the Israelites had been delivered. At this point, they'd been delivered from slavery in Egypt. And it wasn't by their own strength, but purely through what God had done for them. And they were going to be going into the land that God had promised them and he was gonna be giving it to them. It wasn't gonna be taken by their own strength or their own strategy. It would be given to them only if they trusted in God. He was supposed to be Lord of their lives. That's what made them his people. So they were, they were called as his people to put him first before their own uh, material wealth or ambitions, and this, this law is a reflection of that. Uh, whatever earthly success God was going to give them, they were to recognize that their first and most important obligation was to him. So this sacrifice is a recognition of what God had done for them. You know, symbolically for them, the oldest male offspring sort of represents the lineage, carrying on the lineage of his parents, and giving it to God shows that they recognize who was the source of their spiritual lineage and their blessings that they had been given. Um, So the Israelites were... Were the heirs to God's promise of Abraham, and if they're going to be His people, He needs to be first, be Lord of their life. Um, but I think it, if we look at God's people back then, they're the Israelites, and God's people today, we're looking at what 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 are some traits of God's people? God's people are those who put Him first in life. Um, that's really what it means to be a Christian or a follower of Christ. Um, Jesus calls us to put everything before put him before everything, um, before our own wealth, before fame, before our own comfort, before anything that um, would cause us to walk away from him. And kind of as Greg was talking about in his prayer this morning, you know, we're very good at making idols out of things that we have been given by God, the blessings he's given us, and starting to value those things more than him. Um, so it's important for us to realize that God knows those things in our heart that we are putting before Him, and He wants us to give those up um, to follow Him, and we see we see this in the case of the rich young ruler uh, in the Gospels when he comes to uh, want, to God, wanting to know what He can do to follow God, um, but Jesus knows that what He's put before Him is His wealth, um, so Jesus asks him to lay that down if he's going to follow Him, and ultimately the man can't do it because that's more valuable to him than following God. His, his status and his wealth is more valuable to him than following God. And, <coughs> sorry. Uh, being a Christian means following God first rather than our own self-centered desires. And that's, I think, the reason we see that is because being a Christian isn't just a label that we can put on or an addition to our life that comes with some good perks. Um, true Christianity is first and foremost a, a life of sacrifice. It's a life of laying down our own interests for God's. Um, you know, today, Christian is a, is a label that is still coveted by, you know, everybody from some politicians to some musicians to podcasters to influencers. Um, you know, I think we rightfully see that America is a culture that's becoming more and more uh, anti-Christian in its values and views. Uh, but I think we also need to be aware that there are still many people who having that label of Christian represents an opportunity for their own advancement or to gain a new, a new audience or reach a broader influence. Um, so they see Christians as people to be courted and to be uh, brought into their own interests. Um, and I th- they, can, they recognize that maybe if they pay lip service to Christianity, it will help them g- advance their career or get ahead in life without having to actually do the hard work of changing the way they live their life and that's because they maybe don't i don't think they see christianity as a new identity but as a way to reach supporters or fans Uh, and it it ultimately damages our testimony as god's people when being a christian becomes more of a way to for us to inflate our own importance or bank account or following than a way of sacrificing our own selfishness uh, to show god's greatness we can't be a Christian without first dying to our own self-centered way of life. Um, I think, you know, sometimes American culture can make this difficult. Um, we live in a, a a culture that's pretty focused on, you know, self-indulgence and consumerism. Almost everything we want is a couple of clicks away. Uh, we aren't just being told not to give up anything or sacrifice anything, but... We're constantly being told that what we ha- currently have isn't good enough. It's like you know, advertising will tell you uh, you have a perfectly good iPhone, but you know it's not made out of titanium because you definitely need a phone that's titanium. Uh, or you have a perfectly fine water bottle, but uh, it's not a limited edition pink Stanley branded one that's only available at Starbucks. Uh, and I, I don't say that as if I'm somehow immune from that or I'm somehow uh, above that. I definitely have fallen victim to that, you know. Uh, when we bought, when we bought our house, it was very easy to go and see all of the houses that had also been sold recently and that had all the features that ours was maybe missing that we missed out on. Or, um, a big Nick can easily tell you about the several purchases I've made that I thought would be like, I had something I would use every day and then sit unused like my espresso machine. but we, we, you know, we live in one of the most prosperous countries on earth and in the history of the world, but we're constantly being told that what we have isn't enough. And the reason we constantly feel, I think we feel that pull for more is because we're, we're not ultimately made just for stuff. Uh, we're, we aren't made just to be consumers of you know, physical things. We're made, our ultimate purpose is to be made and known by our creator. And happiness in life isn't going to be found in a bigger house, or in the latest technology, or, or in you know, even in even in um, some of our relationships, if that if we make that our ultimate goal, it's ultimately found in knowing our Creator and the One who made us, and coming into a relationship with Him. And throughout history, God's people have always been the ones who seek Him first, before all before all else. Um, even in the Old Testament, we see that being a follower of God wasn't an ethnic identity but a spiritual identity. Uh, We see that with examples like like, uh, Ruth or Rahab, people who come into being God's people despite being from another nation or country. (coughs) Sorry, I keep forgetting that that comes through really loud. Um, Being one of God's people means our priorities are reoriented towards him instead of ourselves. It's a sacrifice of our old way of life Sacrificing the things we thought would bring us lasting satisfaction or purpose and turning to God and trusting that he knows best whats what's best for us that means trusting him with our time our careers our relationships and our possessions so maybe that means walking away from something that we've made an idol in our life or maybe that means we turn it over to God and find its redemptive purpose in him the key is in realizing that ultimately God wants to use us and our our lives for his glory. So, when we examine our lives uh, or the lives of those who call themselves Christians, I think we should ask the question Does it look like a life of someone that's put Christ first? Um, do I love the same things as God loves? Does this person's life show the fruit of repentance? Scripture reminds us time and time again. That it is by the way we live our lives and the way other people live their lives that we can know who's a follower of God. And it probably usually won't take long until the way we live our life reveals what our real priorities are, even if our mouths may say something else. Um, So that brings me to my second point Um, God wants our finest. Um, God didn't just want the Israelites first uh, in this passage. We can also see he wanted their, their finest or their best. Um, their sacrifice was supposed to be their firstborn, um, but if that sacrifice had a blemish or a deformity, it was not supposed to be used. Um, and I, I want to be clear, like Moses doesn't say that um, because as if God can't use broken or damaged people or things. Um, I don't want that to be what you walk away from here with, the idea that God doesn't use broken or um, something that's not perfect or blameless. Um, but it's because the sacrifice was a symbol of Israel's heart of thanksgiving to God and their worship for him. And so it was important that they ultimately give God nothing short of the best they had. Um, every animal that the Israelites had would be imperfect in some way because you know, we live in a fallen and imperfect world Um, But when they came to give sacrifices to God, it was important that their sacrifice would represent their their love and devotion for their Lord and Savior. Their sacrifice said something about their heart and priorities, and it was supposed to represent that they were reserving their best for God. And what we sacrifice for God in our walk with him also reveals where our heart is. You know, do we give God our best, or do we give Him the minimum that we think will earn His favor and forgiveness? Um, but all, I think if we look at if we look at Scripture, following God isn't transactional. You know, there's no minimum viable sacrifice for salvation. It's sort it's an all or nothing proposition. If we're going to give Him our best, it means we turn over everything in our life to Him. An important part of that uh, sacrifice, as well, is that. It was what they were giving to God was to be set apart solely for him. Uh, if it wasn't doing any work or to be used for any other purpose than purely to be given to God. And it's not, I don't think it's hard to imagine that you know, it would be tempting if you're you know, an Israelite shepherd to use that sacrifice up until the point where you're giving it to God, using it for yourself. Um, but, de- but dedicating it for God means setting it apart solely for use by God. And you know, as Christians, our lives are to be set apart for God. Not just our individual, not just our things, but our whole life, our whole heart. Um, and being set apart doesn't mean that doesn't mean we isolate ourselves or we, we go live in a monastery somewhere. Um, but on the, it's, it's the contrary of that. It's you know what the work that God started through the Israelites is being continued on through us, and His work is that plan of redemption for His creation so Israel was called to be a light and example to the nations around them um, to show that there was a creator God who ordered the world from the beginning a God who desired a relationship with his creatures and that that relationship was ultimately broken by our sin the Old Testament law shows the, the fallenness and incapability of all people to stand righteous before God and God has a plan and purpose for his creation but it's our own sinfulness that stands between us and Him, and it's His redemptive plan to bring us back into relationship with Him. And as the Church today, uh, looking back, we have the advantage of hindsight, and we know the fullness of that redemptive plan. You know, the Church is set apart through Christ's sacrifice for us as a covenant people with Him. And that, I think, we we sang that truth today in the song, um, the last song we sang this morning, where. The verse says, everything for you alone, everything to make you known, set apart for your glory, we are yours. So we don't retreat from the world because we're set apart, but instead we go out into the world with the message that there is a creator and that creator is redeeming his creation. And giving our God our best means turning over each area of our life to him and living with that as he's outlined for us in his word. So we pour ourselves into our relationship with others, to see our fellow Christians encourage, and to see our friends who may not be Christians come into relationship with Him. (coughs) We also uh, dedicate ourselves to serving one another as His people, the Church. Um, That means so some examples of that are is like Jameson and the worship team, Uh, you know, taking God's given musical talent and using it to to help us all worship God together. Uh, maybe we're not, all maybe so maybe, you know, we aren't all talented singers. Uh, ben and Liz sit in front of me in church most Sundays, so I'm sure they can tell you that I'm not. Uh, and maybe you aren't either, but that doesn't mean our praises aren't significant or that there aren't other ways that God can use us as well. All of us have different talents and abilities, but each of us is called to use what we have for his kingdom. Jesus' followers were made up when he was here on earth were made up of everyone from religious leaders to wealthy tax collectors to the lowest of the low on the social ladder but they all find found their common purpose in dedicating their lives to him they're all chosen by him to be used by him and what makes us god's people is that we come together in the common cause of the gospel and we give our best to glorify him um, so the third point Uh, And my my final one uh, is that God wants our fellowship. And I think uh, the first two are maybe a little bit easier to see in the passage than this, um, but I think this one is equally important. And we see it outlined in verse 20 uh, when Moses lays out how they are to do their sacrifice. Uh, Verse 20 says, You shall eat it, you and your household before the Lord your God, year by year at the place that the Lord will choose. So if you're like me, when you read the word sacrifice in the Old Testament, you, your mind maybe first goes to like something being burned on an altar. Like Cain and Abel back in Genesis you know, offering their sacrifices to God and, and burning them on an altar. Or the, the high priest offering a sacrifice for sins at the temple and burning it on the altar. Um, but we, if we really look at the verses, that's not what happens here. No, their sacrifice is offered to God but then it's used as a meal for the people when they gather together. And the place that the Lord would ultimately choose for them was Jerusalem after the people entered the promised land. So their sacrifice was to be part of the coming together of families and communities to worship God. And doing this sacrifice year by year uh, indicates that it would probably have taken place at one of their annual festivals like the Feast of Booths or Feast of Weeks Uh, We don't know exactly which one, but whichever it was, this passage gives us the picture of the children of Israel making a regular habit of coming together and worshiping God and giving thanks to him. Each of them bringing their best of what they had to use as a sacrifice and offering to him. Sorry, I need to take a drink. These feasts... um, were a remembrance of what God had done for them and his goodness to them as his people. How he'd rescued them from slavery and guided them during his, their wandering in the wilderness. Their sacrifice was a part of that celebration. What they gave to God, God would ultimately use to bring them together as people and to worship him. So their sacrifice is what enabled their worship. Um, but that sacrifice, even though it was symbolically perfect and unblemished, and their best, what we know wasn't ultimately enough. They gave their best to God out of love and service for him, but the law was a continual reminder of their own sinfulness and their own inability to mend their relationship with God. And there was no sacrifice that they had that was good enough or powerful enough to bridge that gap back to God. Even, there, even we see Israel's most God-fearing leaders like Moses, David, or, or Solomon, they all have moments of failure. They all have moments where they go after what they want rather than what God wants. So because of that unworthiness, God sends his first and his best down to them on their behalf and on our behalf as well. Not just for Israel in that case, but for all people, for all nations, so that each of, the, each of us can come together in fellowship with God as his people, the church. Jesus lives a perfect and a blemished life because we can't. He willingly sacrifices himself in our stead because it was his Father's will to bring us back into relationship with him. In the same way that the blood of the Israelites' sacrifice was poured out, Christ's blood is poured out on our behalf because our own meager sacrifices aren't enough. So Christ's sacrifice is what unites us together as the church, and it's what enables us to turn from our own sinfulness and be born again as a follower of him. His sacrifice enables our worship. As Peter writes in 1 Peter 2 4, uh, through, 4 through 5, he's, Peter says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are that house that Peter's talking about. As a church, we are that holy priesthood. And we don't anymore need the trappings of the temple or to travel to Jerusalem to worship God together. Uh, his His temple is no longer a physical building, and our access to him is no longer hidden behind a curtain. Rather, his spirit dwells within us and allows us to no longer pursue ourselves, but pursue him instead. So that means we dedicate ourselves to our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, that we may, can disciple and encourage one another and help each other grow in him. I think one practical way we see uh, this principle applied uh, is on the first Sunday of each month when we come together for communion. Um, we, you know, we gather together to celebrate what Christ has done for each of us. Just as the Israelites would gather together we gather as a church, um, but rather than bringing our own meal, we we partake in the one that has been provided for us. The bread and the wine and communion symbolize not our first and best, but God's first and best, given to us as a free gift. And in taking communion together as a church, we participate in that sacrifice with him, laying down our idols, our wants and our desires, and seeking his kingdom first. Um, so in closing, um, as we go from here today, I want to encourage each one of you to, you know, examine your life. Are you giving God your first and best? Does your life reflect the heart of someone who is seeking God's glory rather than your own? And along with that, are you, you know, are you participating in Christ's sacrifice alongside your fellow believers? And that's because I think that's important because Christianity isn't you know a solo mission. It's not something. We have any example of script from Scripture where you know. God's followers just go it alone by themselves. God's plan has always been about bringing people together to enjoy him and worship him together as a community. And God's heart is to see his church giving their all for him and for each other. Uh, With that, would you join me in prayer? Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, come to you. Uh, We thank you for that sacrifice that has been given on our behalf. Um, Thank you that uh, in our own weakness, your strength could be shown, that it is through um, what your son did for us that we can come into the fullness of fellowship with you. Uh, and I pray that you would you, uh, continue to use your spirit to refine us, to grow us in our walk with you, to help us seek out opportunities for love and relationship with our fellow believers and with the non-believers who need to know you. We um, just thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together freely um, to proclaim your word and to make your name known. Pray this all in your name. Amen.
0: Please stand with us.